Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to people about their stories with Feds, Marfan, Lois Dietz, and related vascular and aortic connective tissue conditions. This is your host, Katie, and before we get into the show, I want to remind you that the views, information, and opinions in this podcast are those of the individuals involved, and the information presented does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Any opinions that I express in this podcast are my own and not of my employer. In this episode of Staying Connected, we're going to talk to Kristen St. John, whose daughter Marcy was diagnosed with FEDS at the age of four after initially being diagnosed with hypermobile EDS. Just a quick note, Marcy went through a lot after this interview was recorded, and I've included a note at the end of the interview with an update on what she went through and how she's doing. If you want to support Staying Connected and help it continue to reach people who need to hear it, you can join my Patreon for just a few dollars a month. As always, thank you to everyone who has been supporting the show. I really couldn't do it without your continued support, so thank you. My top tier patrons are listed in the episode show notes. This episode is the last episode of this season, and the show will be back in the fall. Hey, Kristen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast to share your story and your daughter Marcy's story with Feds. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us where you're from, a little bit about Marcy. Sure. I'm Kristen St. John, and I'm going to be talking about my daughter Marcy's story with her journey with Feds. We live in Oklahoma. We've lived here basically our whole lives. It's just me and my husband and Zane, her older brother. And it's been She's six years old now, um, and it's basically been a lifelong journey for her. What led to her diagnosis of VADS at such a young age? Well, basically from the time she was born, we knew she was different. I mean, you can't help but compare to older brother and everything. So she, from the time she was born, first of all, she was born a little premature, which I've heard is pretty common with, with VADS kids now. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't know that at the time. And I was put on bed rest at 20 week to try to keep, keep her in. <laughs> and I made it to 34 weeks. And, um, she did, she did great actually. But from the time she was born, uh, she grew super, super easily. Like I'm talking just doing diaper changes and wiping her would bruise her. And that's, so that's something right off the bat that we noticed. And then she has always been pretty hypermobile too. We noticed that even as a baby too. I remember specifically one day changing her like into an outfit and her thumb like got caught in the sleeve or something and it bent all the way back. And I was panicking because I thought I just broke my baby's thumb. <laughs> um, and uh, and I was like, why isn't she crying? Uh, was she, was, she was not bothered by it at all and her thumb was just fine got it out of the sleeve and she was good. But those were kind of the first things that we noticed that were like, huh, this is different. Yeah, like different than your experience with Zane. Yes. So uh, besides that, though, um, she she was pretty normal. We I guess we just considered her more clumsy. Like as a toddler and stuff, she would fall quite a bit and she had bruising all over. But we kind of just thought just because she fell so much. Mm-hmm. So... 
But even so, I think eventually what what took us off was just her the bruising like never really went away. It just kinda kinda seemed to like compound on top of each other. Um and so that led us uh first to rheumatology and this was when she was three. Um, rheumatology and they actually diagnosed her with um hypermobile EDS or sonus. Um and they said that's what was causing all her bruising. That was the first time we had ever heard of Ehlers-Danlos, like, period. We had no idea what that even was or that it existed before then. So did they do, did rheumatology do any kind of genetic testing? Or they just thought because she was hypermobile that she had hypermobile Yeah, they just diagnosed her with, like, based on her presentation and her symptoms. Uh, They did not... Because I did, they did tell me it was a genetic disorder, but they said that there was no need to do genetic testing um, at that time because they said there was, with the hypermobile type, there was no marker for it and there wasn't really much they could do for it anyway, just had to manage like the symptoms. And at that time, we didn't know what Ehlers-Danlos was. We didn't even know there were, there was more than one type, you know, so we were just taking her word for it. We're like, okay. But that rheumatologist did say that we should go take her to hematology and get her tested too because of her uh, extensive bruising just to make sure there wasn't anything going on there. So that led us to hematology. And then they did all of their testing and found out we had, she has von Willebrand's as well. The hematology doctor, though, that we saw was a very good doctor. He's very thorough. And he was the one who was just looking her over and looking at her history and saying, I think there's more here than like what meets the eye. I really think that she get her tested, like genetic tested. And so he put in the order for that. That was in, I believe, November. Yeah, November of 2020. Fast forward to, and Marcy's four at this point. Fast forward to... March of 2021, so just a few months later, Marcy had the bowel perforation, just spontaneously perforated. What was that experience like at four years old? It was it was really hard. It was pretty awful. And by that point, Marcy had seen, I just mentioned a few specialists here, but Marcy had seen a lot of doctors and a lot of specialists, and she was very familiar with doctors and she's just not a fan of doctors or hospitals. So she wanted, she would avoid like she, and she still does this to this day. Um, sometimes she will either downplay her symptoms or just not try not to mention them at all because she does not want to go to the ER. <laughs> so, which, you know, can be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but in, but in this particular circumstance, she, was just sitting on the couch and she stood up and she bent and then she just kind of doubled over and said, ow, 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 just like that, just a very deadpan, like, ow, ow, ow. And then looked up at me and said, mommy, we need to go to the hospital. And she was four. And, so, and she was four. Um, and so for me, that was like immediate red flag. And I was like, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. And and I'm so glad we did. By the time we got her there, which our, the hospital is only about a 20 minute drive from us, thankfully. 
But just on the way there, she started um, throwing up blood. She was barely hanging on to consciousness at that point. It got very bad very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I then figured out that she had the bowel perforation in the ER. Immediately whisked her into surgery to try to do some damage control in there and clean clean up everything. Um, but by that point, she had gone, she had actually gone into septic shock. Uh, and so she, they were very honest with us and they said uh, the next like 24 hours would be crucial. You know, she may not even pull through the night. Um, it, it went from zero to a hundred real fast. Yeah. And you did not have the VEDS diagnosis at this time, right? Like you had not seen a geneticist yet. No. No, we didn't know yet. Um, they, like I said, they had put the referral back in, in like November, but their genetics department is so behind. We didn't even get a call to schedule with them until April. And that was just a call, a call to schedule. We finally got in with them, I think in July of 2021. Wow. So you're at the hospital dealing with a bowel perforation basically when they call to schedule. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Cause we were still, we, yes, we did end up being, staying in the hospital for about five weeks for her to recover from the perforation. And so, yeah, we were still in the hospital when they called to schedule her, which I thought was very ironic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how did that, so gratefully, you know, she made it through the night, obviously, which is really, really wonderful. Yes. Um, how did she, yeah. Did they end up doing a colostomy or how did they handle the bowel perforation? Yeah. So in her case, like I said, they did, they did the first surgery just kind of as a, like a damage control, I guess, as you will, and like cleaned her out really good. And then two days later, they did the second surgery to clean her out again. And they did place the colostomy at that time. Originally, they had said that they were just going to have her keep the colostomy for about six months or so. And they said that she would probably be out of the hospital in a week. That did not happen. <laughs> um, so, and she was continually baffling the doctors while she was in the hospital because um, she was just so very, she was very slow to heal. She, it just took much, much longer than they anticipated. And in the process, because it took so long, she developed other complications like an infection in her, in her incision. And she got a, uh, she still does have a large clot in her jugular vein from the central line that they had to put in. And she had to co- go through uh, withdrawals because they had her on such high doses of pain medicine at first mm-hmm. that when they tried to take her off, she had to go through that and it was really hard. Yeah, what was this like as a mom during this time? Oh, man. <laughs> Honestly, if I think about it too much, I'll start crying. <laughs> I can't. Um, yeah. it was, it was definitely one of the worst, if not the worst times of my life. It was really hard watching her go through that. She just, I mean, she, she was four, like, like you said, she's four at the time and she did not understand like what was going on or why they kept on having to come in and poker and poker over and over again because I mean, now we know because she has VEDS, but at the time they could not figure out her, her veins are just so fragile. And so when she, they tried to place an IV, it would either like burst almost immediately. Like it would, I, I can't remember the terminology, but 
blow. There you go. Like the veins would blow yeah. almost immediately. Or if they managed to get an IV in, it would last maybe two or three days tops. And then they'd have to put in another one. That's hard on a, I mean, that's hard on an adult with beds. It sounds hard on a four-year-old. Yeah. She did not understand what was going on. And I had, you know, just tried to convince her uh, constantly. Like, they're, you know, they're trying to help you. Like, I promise they're trying to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, and for the first week, too, I, I could not uh, hold her. I could I could not hold her or hug her or anything because she was in a, they'd placed her in like a medically induced coma and put her on the, on the ventilator. So I wasn't allowed to. I couldn't really do anything with her. Um, and that was really hard too. Cause I just, I just wanted to hold her so badly. Yeah. So she healed from that eventually and you did get into genetics. Yeah. Like how long was it until you got into genetics after this? Um, so she got discharged in April and, um, like I said, we got, we got the call while we were still in the hospital and they built the schedule. I think I said July before, but actually, we got her scheduled in June. Mm-hmm. So just a couple months later, we were able to get her in. And they, the geneticist we saw, based on her history and everything, especially now having the bowel perforation, she told us she was like, I'm almost positive that she has vascular Ehlers-Danlos, not the hypermobile type. And I was like, you know, it's just a shock to me. I was like, what? Like that, I... I didn't know there were other types and, and I'm reading up when, if you Google this, you know, Google is not kind. Yeah. Uh, so even though, even though she said, you know, don't, don't Google this. Of course, that's the first thing I did was Google it because <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> um, I was like, I wanted to know what I could be potentially dealing with or what she could potentially be dealing with down the road. And so I did Google it and just. Hor- horrifying, you know, statistics like a mortality rates and everything, and uh, yeah, that it was that it was bad, and I was just praying with everything I had that she did not have this. Honestly, I was like that she that they were wrong, and this was just kind of a weird coincidence, I guess, if you would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Um, but in August, we got her results back, and she does have vascular Ehlers-Danlos. Yeah. And what did you... So now at this point, you had Googled, and you had seen how... <laughs> I like that word, not kind, like how unkind Google is. What was the most helpful thing for you during that time? Did you get connected with anybody, or did you find resources? So... Because the rheumatologist had said, you know, she has just regular Ehlers-Danlos. I was in a Facebook group just about Ehlers-Danlos in general. And in that group, they, you know, it included all types, not just the hypermobile types. So I was in that Facebook group already, just kind of reading up on other people's experiences and posting questions of my own. And whenever I... Whenever we got the official diagnosis from the geneticist, I did post in that group about her VEDS diagnosis. And I believe it was uh, Rachel that reached out to me and she's an angel. She is just a wonderful human being. And um, she was really great in helping like calm my fears 
and giving me really like good information and helpful information, unlike Google. And then once I was able to, you know, show her the proof that Marcy had been genetically confirmed, then she led me into that Vets Facebook group. And that's just been, I mean, it's just, it's been the great, it's everyone in there is just so amazing. And again, just so helpful. Yeah. I'm so glad that you got connected with that. Um, when I was talking to Maria and Mandy this past season about their daughter, Andy, you know, she had kind of gotten lost in that broader Ehlers-Danlos group and never kind of got pulled in to the VEDS group. And I'm so, so glad to know that you got pulled in just right away. That is awesome. Yeah, I I consider myself really lucky. <laughs> no, I was so... I, I mean, honestly, just kind of how everything just ha- really happened with all the different specialists along the way. And, and I mean, even her preparation happening as horrible as it was, um, if she, if that hadn't happened, I don't think we would know even now that she has VEDS. I still think we would be under the hypermobile EDS diagnosis. Yeah. And so do you know what kind of mutation she has? Yes. Um, hers is a, a deletion. Uh, mutation and so it's it's considered a null mutation from what um, Dr. Morris has told us in Emily, in which was really surprising from what they had said. Yeah. And how have you taken this information and kind of like adapted her life to knowing that she has feds? Like what has that been like with her? It's kind of been a I would say like a balancing act, you know, because you, you want, I want her to have like as normal a life as possible and, you know, and have just as good quality of life as possible. But I also don't want her to, you know, be put at undue risk. (laughs) So she, right now we have, we've been doing school from home, like virtually. And part of that's been just because I've been so nervous at the idea of sending her to school in an environment where I cannot control it. <laughs> um, but the other, the other part of it is just she needed that time to recover. I would say even now, like we're just now getting to the point where she is so strong and so healthy that I think she could do well in a regular school setting. She, I don't think I mentioned this before, but after getting out of the hospital ever since being released from the hospital. She's been doing weekly physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech. So it's like we have all these different therapies we go to every single week. And recently we've added aquatic physical therapy, which she loves. She loves swimming. <laughs> and so just with all of that, all of those different appointments that we've had to go to and every week, it's just kind of been easier to do her school around that. And she had to really build up her stamina. Um, and I think we're now to a point that she can get through a school day. She might nap afterwards, honestly. Like she might come home straight home and nap, but, uh, she at least has enough stamina that she can get through the day. Yeah. And so did they ever end up reversing that colostomy or does she still have it? Oh, no. So she does still have the colostomy. We did go back and forth about that. Uh, so we actually consulted uh, with Dr. Vogel down at Texas Children's about 
whether to reverse it or not. Um, it's here, her, her uh, GI doctor and her surgeon here in Oklahoma both really wanted us to reverse it. They were kind of pressuring us to do that. Though we just really, we really didn't feel good about it. She was just still so weak. She just seemed so weak, you know, still in, at that point and fragile. And, you know, now we just got this brand new vest diagnosis and we're like, we're still trying to figure out fully what that meant and what the risk would be with that. And, you know, we sought a second opinion basically from Dr. Vogel, um, down at Texas Children's and he was really great. Um, he is a best knowledgeable surgeon and, uh, he had basically said, you know, she's doing well with it. Like she's getting, she's had at that point, you know, she's the happiest and healthiest she has ever been in her life, which was true. <laughs> and, um, he was like, I honestly don't, would not want to like touch her at this point. I think he's like, if she's, if she is doing well with it, then just leave her be. And that's kind of where we've stayed. And she's, at this point, she's used to it. You just don't, uh, she doesn't even, it doesn't bother her at all. doesn't slow her down at all. It's just normal for her. Yeah. And so for us as parents, you know, I, I think we've basically decided to have her, have her keep it until she gets older and like old enough to where she can make more of an informed decision on her own. Um, and if she wants to attempt it at that point, then we'll reconsult with Dr. Vogel. But it's just knowing, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of people in the group that cure reversal and have great success with it. But then there's others where it doesn't turn out well. And for us, it just was not worth the risk after she had been through so much. We just didn't want to put her through that possibly ever again. So. Yeah, that's why that's why we had decided to keep it. And like I said, she's doing great with it. Yeah, I mean, that's um, I mean, so she's had it since she was about four or since she was yeah. four. And so it's been yeah for her. It's probably a part of her life that she might not even remember not having it. Well, I, I wondered that, too. Um, She does remember not having it, though. She okay. does. She's so she. Yeah, she does. She told me there's I mean. Honestly, I was just hoping, I was kind of hoping that too. And also I was, I was hoping <laughs> yeah. that like she wouldn't remember anything like of the hospital experience, mm -hmm. you know, like, like I was just kind of hoping that none of that would, really she was young enough that she wouldn't be affected by that. Um, but unfortunately that's not been the case. She, she remembers a lot. And because of that, one of the other things that we've been working with her on or working with her on is counseling and she has been diagnosed with PTSD from all the medical trauma. So that, that's been a struggle too for her. There was a long time, a long time where after going through that in the hospital, basically anybody in scrubs was public enemy number one. Oh, um, she, she was so fearful because anybody in scrubs was going to poke her in her mind and she did not want to be poked anymore, which I can't blame her. Yeah. Yeah. Has she gotten to meet other kids with vets? Recently, yes. So we've finally managed to make it to the vet lock in Houston in this uh, past March. And oh my gosh, it was so great. It was so fun. So she got to meet other kids at her age and 
and around her age too, like older and younger too. I mean, mm-hmm. there was just, there were a lot of kids there. Uh, it was just, and it was great as a parent to see that too. Um, and just meet other families who had been through similar experiences and getting to talk to them. And I, like I said, we, I knew some of them like through the Facebook group, but it's different, you know, meeting in person. <laughs> it is. And there were a lot of people there at that walk. Does she know what that's is? Like, does she know? What does she know at this age? I don't think she like fully understands yet. <laughs> But she will tell you, like, and she tells, and she tells doctors and anyone this all the time. She'll say, "I'm fragile inside," and that's, I mean, that's kind of her opening. She's like, "Hi, I'm Marcy, and I'm fragile inside." (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she understands enough to know that. um, Yeah, she knows. She understands that if she, if you ask her what had happened to her, she will tell you she had a big owie in her tummy. And she had the big owie in her tummy, and now she has a bump, which is what she calls her colostomy. It's her bump. And she said, and her bump makes her feel better. That is so sweet. Uh, so she, I don't, she does not fully understand it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so cute, actually. <laughs> uh, she definitely does not fully understand it and like fully understand all the risk right. with it. But I think, I think for her age, she understands enough. Mm-hmm. Have you had any experiences with medical professionals that really make you wish that medical professionals knew? Like, is there something that you've learned that you really want medical professionals to know about beds at this point? Yes. I mean, so my biggest struggle, and I'm, I think this is the struggle for a lot of people with beds, is when, I, when we have to go to the ER. And this actually happened just recently. Like, I had to take her to the ER because... She had had a really bad headache for multiple days and that's not normal for her. And of course, you know, I'm concerned from a vet standpoint whenever that happens. And so when we took her to the ER, uh, I had to argue with the doctor to get her, get him to order her a CTA instead of just like a standard CT. Because uh, what I find is a lot of them here, I tell them vascular Ehlers-Danlos, but they only hear the Ehlers-Danlos part. And so they're, and then they're like, oh yeah, Ehlers-Danlos. I know what that is. It's just, you know, hypermobile joints and stuff, you know, and, and they're like, no, you missed the vascular part. And, and this, this doctor almost did not believe me because he, I mean, he didn't know what this was. I mean, most doctors don't. And so he almost did not believe me. And I had to, tell him to go look up her genetic doctor who's within the same hospital. I was like, go talk to that doctor and look at that doctor's note. And I promise you, it'll tell you, you need to do a CTA. <laughs> and, and he, and his attitude is just so haughty. And he was like, okay, fine, I'll do that. And, and he did. And guess what? He ordered the CTA after that. But you know what? It shouldn't have taken that much. Like yeah. it shouldn't have, it shouldn't be that difficult. <laughs> Yeah, it shouldn't be that difficult. And so that the, he's not the only doctor that that's happened. That's just the most recent experience. It just it almost seems like because they don't know what it is or they've never heard of it, they don't believe you. It's like they're making like you're making something up or you're over exaggerating the seriousness of it. And the other, the only other, like so that I've run into that or 
if I if I explained it, then I was like, no, this is the condition that caused her her bowel to perforate. Then they're kind of like, oh, I didn't know Ehlers-Danlos could do that. And I was like, well, it can't. Vascular Ehlers-Danlos can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so they and there's kind of, they're like, oh, okay. And that I mean that, that's what it takes, honestly, to get them to take it more seriously. Mm-hmm. But it's sad that it has to be that way. Yeah. So then just the, for the medical professionals listening, it's really the understanding of the different types of EDS and what that means. And the, you know, the, specifically the vascular yeah. type and what that means. Yeah. Yeah. That's been probably the biggest struggle. Yeah. Well, I hope that somebody listening hears that. And I think that the emergency room challenges that we face with VADS are at top of mind for a lot of the experts in our community and for a lot of us like in the community for sure like it's just in my mind it's one of the number one things that we have to fix yeah 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 i agree so if there's somebody listening who has a younger child with beds that's just diagnosed or just had a bowel perforation um do you have advice for them based on your experience um, I would say, first off, find, you know, definitely find a support group, whether that is, you know, family, friends, whether that, you know, somewhere in the face, the Facebook community, you know, whatever is any social media, you're going to need some sort of support, like to help you get through that. Just like, not, not just like the hospitalization, but just the whole, the diagnosis and, and, you know, figuring out what that means and adjusting life to that. And I mean, it's just, it was, it was a lot. It was, to be honest, it was overwhelming at first. And I don't think I would have, I, I wouldn't have done this well without, I, I'm very lucky that I have like, fam- a lot of family here locally. That's been a really great support system for us. But also, again, really lucky to have found Rachel and, and the VEDS Facebook group and becoming part of that community. And then also um, leading me to that the VEDS movement and um, the VEDS movement website. It was just, man, that, that uh, information, all that information was just such a relief to me. Cause for me, I'm just like, I just want to know. And the more I know, the more secure I feel. Yeah. Well, I will link that the VEDS movement and the episode show notes. So if anybody's listening and is looking for that information, I will link it down there. And then the Facebook group for VEDS is private, but there's also the VEDS Zebra group and that one you can find on Facebook. So if you are genetically (laughs) confirmed with VEDS and you're not in the Facebook group, I would suggest finding the, the VEDS or vascular zebras group on Facebook and then message the admin to that group. And that will get you connected with the admin for the genetically confirmed group as well. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, and then something else that I like really want to encourage parents is just, you know, you know your child best and they, you know, they're counting on you to advocate for them because they, you know, they just can't advocate for themselves. And so if you just feel like and just know in your gut that there's, something else going on just keep pushing and keep pushing and pushing until you find a doctor that's listen, like willing to listen to you 
and help connect you with the right specialist. Um, Cause that, I, I kind of glossed over that, you know, in her like telling their story earlier, but there are many, many doctors that would downplay Marcy's symptoms or just kind of blow us off altogether and act like we were over exaggerating. There are many doctors like that on our journey and it was disheartening and it kind of made, made me question sometimes, you know, whether, whether I was overreacting, but in the end, I just knew like in my gut, I just knew something was going on. And so we just, we kept pushing and finally got connected to the right specialist that led us to ultimately to her diagnosis. And I think, uh, I honestly think it helped me. I, I have my own chronic illnesses, many of them. And when I was a young adult, well, I guess I still am young, but younger, um, the doctors would also often do that to me. They would look at my age and just say, there's no way that, you know, all this stuff is wrong with you. Like you're just over-exaggerating, you know, you don't, I think it's, I have been told literally to my face that it's all in my head and that was not the case, but, but I have suffered for many years because doctors did not believe me. So I had to learn really quickly to advocate for myself. And I think that helped me with Marcy. Um, I, I think it's actually on a different level (laughs) with her because just the mama bear instincts come out and I was like, no, you are not going to blow off my daughter. No way. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That is such really, really great advice. And I think that's something that a lot of people in our community have probably dealt with, whether, you know, on their own, like as an adult trying to get the diagnosis or try to get answers, or of course, like as a parent of a child with VEDS, I think that's really, really wonderful advice. And it's something that we're kind of like always up against and comes out in the ER and the diagnosis and all sorts of ways that, you know, you meet new doctors and you have to go through the whole thing explaining it again. So I just, I love that advice about, you know, it's, it reminds me of something my mom told me when I was trying to get my diagnosis. And she was like, Katie, if you think something's wrong, don't give up. You know, you have to be your own yes. advocate. And I love that you you are that for Marcy. And I think it's just really great advice. Thank you. I'm doing my best. You know, <laughs> do, that's all we can do. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and Marcy's story. Yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I could help and share her story. And I hope that it helps others too. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Staying Connected featuring Kristen St. John sharing her daughter Marcy's story with VEDS. As I mentioned at the beginning of this show, Marcy went through a good deal after the recording of this interview. She fell on her bedroom and scraped her back on her wheelchair, which opened her back down to the muscle layer. She had to go to the OR or the operating room to fix this, which required a three-day hospital stay. Then, in August, she returned to the hospital in major pain, and they found out that the wound was infected and the stitches had fallen apart. Then, after a fourth trip to the OR, she became septic. Thankfully, she bounced back quickly after strong IV antibiotics and antifungal medications were given. She went home with a wound vac from the hospital, and then at the end of August, went to the OR one final time for the wound vac to be removed along with the stitches, staples, and drains. On September 18th, 
She had her follow-up with the surgeon and the wound has finally closed. Happy to report that Marcy is doing much better. In the episode, Kristen mentioned the Walk for Victory she attended in Houston. There are a number of upcoming walks around the U.S. like this one that you can participate in. Walks that have been announced already are St. Louis on October 1st, Cleveland, Ohio on October 21st, Indianapolis on October 22nd, and Nashville, Tennessee on November 4th. And that big Houston walk is going to be March 2nd. That's it for today. If you like this show, I hope you will consider sharing it with your friends on social media to raise awareness of these conditions. You can also support the production of this podcast by joining my Patreon. This show will be back later in the fall, so don't forget to subscribe to staying connected on your podcast player so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks so much, and I will see you soon. Bye.